on this week's episode of Arisen, I had the opportunity to speak to Reverend Ann Holmes, who models courage and resilience, and we have a wonderful conversation about ordination and what it means for her as she is the first lesbian pastor to be ordained in the United States all the way back in 1982. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Arisen. Welcome back to another episode of Arisen. My name is Drew Entz. I'm the Ministry Director at Arise Campus Ministry, and I am so honored and excited for our guest this week, Reverend Ann Holmes. Reverend Holmes, welcome so much to our podcast. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be here, and I appreciate you inviting me. Yeah, well, absolutely. I don't know if you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, about who you are and some of the things that you've gotten to do and where you are right now. Sure. Um, I was ordained 40 years ago, this in April, this coming up. And uh, since then I've been doing various types of things, but I was trained as a hospital chaplain. So I've done some work in hospitals, mostly psychiatric hospitals, but in the last several years, the last 15 or 20 years, I've been doing um, interim ministry in churches. So that's kind of what I just retired. And that's what I retired from. Now, when were you doing chaplaincy at psychiatric hospitals? Well, in uh, 19, uh, like the 70s. And um, I was at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in DC back when it was still a federal hospital. Um, And I did I what is called clinical pastoral education. I was becoming a clinical pastoral education supervisor. So I was there for three years uh, working toward that. Well, I was just going to say, and so I was a chaplain there, but I was also in training there at the same time. Now, I imagine mental health was not, uh, care was not the same as it is today. As far- Well, this, this was... That was right after, or or a few years after, if you remember, or some folks will remember, the big exodus from psych hospitals um, and putting people on the streets, essentially. So, yes, mental health has changed over time. I don't know that it's for the better. I, I can't, not sure about that. I can't judge that. But it sure has changed over time. But when I was at St. Elizabeth's, it was a state, I mean, it was a federal hospital, and there were thousands of patients there. Wow. I, yeah, what a, what an experience and what a group of people to be able to minister to. I, right. I think we just dive into a whole podcast episode on that. I think that that I know, would be right? really interesting. Yeah. Now, if I read correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, your father was a minister. No. No. What? No. I don't know where why that was said. My uh, parents were not church people. Okay. My mother believed you could worship a peach on a tree if that's what you wanted to do. Okay. So, yeah. 
So what was that growing like? What I was know, that was like? Weird. Well, I, um, I started, but they would take us to Sunday school and drop us off and then pick us up after. They made us go to Sunday school. But then I got involved in church when I was in seventh grade, got very involved when I was in seventh grade and I got a phone call inviting me to youth group and asking me to bring the Kool-Aid. And so I had to go because I had to bring the Kool-Aid and I never left. So that was sort of how I got hooked into church where coming from a family, an extended family. I mean, nobody I know in my family goes to church. Okay. So then you went to youth group and where did your sense of call come from? Well, I was Presbyterian at the time and this was in, I lived in Virginia, Vienna, Virginia. Um, and about when I was about 16, I felt called to do further work in the church. Now, if you remember, that was in 1966. Women in the Presbyterian church had only been being ordained for 10 years. So I wasn't even sure that I, as a woman, could be ordained. I, and in fact, what I would tell people I was, was that I, would be a, I was going to become a missionary because I didn't know what else to say because I wasn't sure that that was something you really could do at the time. And then I, it, that just progressed over time. And I went to a Presbyterian undergraduate school with the intention of becoming something in the church. And by the time I graduated from undergraduate school, I was interested in becoming a minister and had planned, actually planned to go to Princeton and get a degree in MDiv and a social work degree. But because Princeton was so conservative, and um, you had to live in the dorm, and I was a lesbian, and I wasn't had no idea how that would fit. So I didn't do that. I said, forget it, and I moved to Nashville. Wow. So you went through the process and ultimately came to the decision that you were going to get ordained in, as you said, April 1982 at Emmaus here in Vienna. Right. Well, that was uh, 10 years later. Right. So <laughs> it was a really, it was a difficult time during those years. I moved to Nashville because my best friend lived there. Okay. And I lived with his family for a little while and then made it my home and became a probation officer. And uh, I worked with child abuse and neglect, um, investigated child abuse and neglect. And while I was doing that, I started at Vanderbilt. Um, and was able, as I would say, you know, to make the uh, ivory tower not so ivory towerish, and I uh, was able to do some work around what does it mean to be on the streets, working with this population or whatever type of person, and how do we do that? How does the church do that? How does the church meet that meet that place? I'm not even sure it meet, doesn't meet a need, but it meets that place, right? So that's kind of what I did for the first year and a half of uh, Vanderbilt. And then I just couldn't talk, I couldn't keep up with the studies and working full time. So I stopped working. But now were you out at Vanderbilt? Yes. Okay. And what was that experience like? Because again, in my mind, the 70s, while, you know, I mean, again, this is a very millennial view of the 70s, not living through it. 
you hear about, you know, oh, they're, they're hippies and, and all this kind of, it must have been everywhere, right? Like there was nothing other than hippies across the United States in the 60s exactly. and 70s. <laughs> um, but we're sitting here and, you know, and so Vanderbilt, did you feel fully embraced? Was oh, my gosh, yes. Um, Vanderbilt is an awesome school. It was a graduate school of religion. So it was a divinity school, which is different than a seminary. A seminary tends to bring people in and teach them to become ministers. A graduate school of religion uh, is just that. And you can, there were a lot of people there getting PhDs, but you could also get a master of divinity. And during the um, Vietnam War, there were many folks who went there to avoid the draft and were then... um, leaders in the nonprofits in in Nashville. So it, it was a it was a very different experience than I would have had, say, at Princeton. Yes. Yeah. What was was that maybe the what was the first place maybe I I'm I'm trying to jump ahead. What was the first place where you felt like you were totally able to just live into your full self? Oh my. Um well it wasn't then. Uh, oh, many years later. Many years later? Okay. Yeah. Well, so you go to Vanderbilt. You have these this experience being able to bring down the ivory tower a little bit. And you end up leaving being Work. a probation officer. Mm-hmm. But I was always called to ministry during this time. I mean, that was never not there. But... It was really hard to figure out in the late 60s and 70s, early 70s, how to live that out in a situation, in a place in life where I was not, certainly not, and nor were any of my friends fully accepted. Now, at Vanderbilt, we were, there were a number of us, but if you remember, that was also, those were the days when women were just, there were few women in divinity schools and seminaries. That was that was also new. So there were the, so you were dealing with feminism, and you were dealing with LGBT plus issues, people, and that was a that was a hard time. Um, and in fact, and I'll just jump ahead just to tell you this one thing. One of my professors said to me, you know, you you would be a great minister. Just don't tell anybody you're a lesbian. And that wasn't a, well, that wasn't who I was, so I couldn't do that. I mean, many, many people did, and I respect that and have no issue with it. That just wasn't who I was. Right, and I remember reading that, that there was no doubt, I guess, no. in, in your application, that this was truly who you were and that you were called. And That's right. No, no doubt whatsoever. I uh, would have fought it for the rest of my life if, if I had needed to. I mean, I knew I was called by God. That was not a question in my mind. I I didn't always have faith or I didn't, you know, I always had dark nights of the soul and those kinds of things. But I never doubted that I was called by God and that I was a lesbian. Those two things I was sure about. That would be the great uh, title of a memoir. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Two things I'm sure of. Um, So you go and, and... You finish Vanderbilt in, in a c- couple years after that. I go and finish Vanderbilt. 
and everybody was being ordained, but I couldn't do it because they wouldn't let me be out. I mean, they would not let me be out. Um, and so I left Nashville and came back to Virginia. And that's when I, I, the, within the next year I started doing my chaplaincy. I continued. I did a lot of chaplaincy training when I was in div school as well. But I, I that's when I started at St. Elizabeth's. And they really pushed. I have to have to give them credit for this. St. Elizabeth's really pushed me and the uh, denomination, me to get ordained and do it the way I wanted to do it. What was the process at that time to be ordained? Well, it was similar to what it is now in the United Church of Christ. To be ordained, you needed to become a person that was called then in care, which meant that you needed to belong to a local church, that they had to affirm you, um, that then you went through the process. The process being um, you had to have a psychological evaluation. You had to write your your papers on uh, theology, uh, church history, those kinds of things, as well as your uh, biography of your religious or your church experience. And do you have to go to interviews? Is there a certain amount of time? Like, for example, I know in the United Methodist Church, we have to do all that. We go to interviews. We get approved to be a uh, provisional elder is what we're called. Right. And then we come back three years later, rewrite a whole bunch of papers to show that our effectiveness in ministry, and then we're fully ordained. As an elder. As an elder. In full yeah. connection is what we call it. We um, don't have to do, we don't do that quite that way. We, when you're in divinity uh, seminary, you are um, a member in discernment. That's what it's called now, rather than in care, amid. And during that time, during the time, and what, what we hope is that this process will start when you start your seminary training. So that during those years that you're in seminary, you're also going through the process of moving toward ordination, if in fact you are able to become ordained. And so, and we require clinical pastoral education. So during your seminary training, you have to do your polity class, your polity courses, and usually that can happen in, in a divinity school or a seminary. But we also provide that within the um, Central Atlantic Conference. And then, uh, let's see, you have to do that, a psychological evaluation. You have to have a mentor and go through that process. Meet with the Committee on Ministry, which is, again, the body that doesn't ordain the uh, person, but pushes, the, if, if the person who is coming before the Committee on Ministry if the committee on ministry feels that they are um, in a good enough place to become ordained, they push them to meet with the Potomac with the association, and that's called an ecclesiastical council. And that happens down the road. In order to become ordained, you have to be a member of discernment for at least a year in that association. So you could have been in you know Chicago and transfer here or come here and have to start and do it again for another year. So I'm, I'm missing things. I know I am. 
That's okay. But it is a complicated process. It is not an easy... You don't show up one day and go, you know what, I I think I want to be uh, ordained. I I want to be ordained. No, and in fact, we kind of laugh about that on occasion because some people do that. I'd like to be ordained last week. And when we tell them what the requirements are, they re- they kind of rebel about that. You know, they they think the United Church of Christ, in our case, is just this pushover organization that anybody can do if it feels good, do it. And we're not like that at all. We have we we certainly have a structure, and a structure that everybody does. So why go through that whole process? I know that Saint Anne wanted you to be ordained, but. I, people ask me that all the time. Like, well, can't you just be a minister and not go through ordination? Why, for you, was it worth this process? Well, ordination, I mean, in, in the United Church of Christ, as in most Protestant denominations, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So that everybody is equal in the eyes of God. And then some are set apart. Who, who then go on to do maybe specialized training, um, seminary, those kinds of things, so that they can be a particular type of leader within the denomination and within the church. But we don't, as opposed to, say, some other denominations, the Methodist church, we don't have a hierarchical system. We have a covenantal system. And so... Those who wish to be or who are called by God to be ordained are, are called to preach and teach because they're trained to do that. And that's why you become ordained. If, if you want to focus and devote your life to a vocation within the church, then that's why you become ordained. When I was being ordained or trying to be ordained, what people would say to me, and one person in particular at a meeting said to me, why don't you just be a social worker? And I said, well, God's not calling me to be a social worker. God's calling me to be a minister. Um, But I also believe personally, and within some places within the UCC, we believe that say anybody could perform the sacraments if need be. So, So what I would say about ordination is this. Ordination for somebody who is called by God to want to devote their life as opposed to doing something else, a seamstress or whatever. They want to devote their life to working within the church, to to furthering the the work of the church in a specific way. Yes. And I realize I messed up as soon as I said it. I said St. Anne's and just because I think you're a saint. It's Thank really you. Saint Elizabeth. <laughs> it really was Saint Elizabeth. My mom's gonna be mad at me because her name is Elizabeth, and I just brushed well, my over name's Anne Elizabeth. So you did not do anything wrong. There you go. There you go. Reverend Holmes, I want to thank you again for being here. And this is part one of two, as we have conversations this week about your life and the ways in which you are formed. And next week, we talk a little bit about what the journey was like and what to do when you're dealing with pain and how did you find resilience in the midst of being so courageous. 
So again, thank you all for listening to Arisen. If you want to find out more about Arise Campus Ministry, you can check us out, arisegmu.org, or on Instagram, arisegmu. Thanks, and I hope you join us next week for this conclusion of this conversation with Reverend Ann Holmes. Take care.